welcome to episode 153 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level, I'm, I'm Sarah. Rob. You know, you, Rob? we're remote, uh, so that's uh, that's yeah. the first step in this equation, uh, I think. It's a little it is weird. a little little weird. Uh, we're yeah. I, we're gonna have to rely a little bit on our live chat to find out uh, how bad we are right now. Uh, I, I'm already seeing that I'm a little far away. Maybe you're a little far away too. So uh, I'm talking more or less right into my well, microphone, so I can maybe tweak my gain if you guys. Uh, if you, if yeah, you we'll tweak just a little bit and see if uh, if things get a little bit better for everybody. So hopefully we'll be able to get through this one. Uh, unfortunately, over the weekend, uh, both uh, myself, my wife, and a bunch of friends well, were at a gathering, and uh, my wife ended up getting the flu. There was a chance that we could have gotten COVID. Luckily, we do not have that. Um, I'll be getting my test tomorrow, but my wife got hers today. Uh, so I would say that uh, we are doing all right. Okay, thank you very much, by the way, Knox. So we will have to remember to pause a little bit more since there seems to be a delay between us, Sarah. Oh no! So I'll uh, we'll we'll see if we can if we can balance that out a little bit. Uh, but yeah, so we're, we're doing this one separated. We're, we're, we're looping through a couple things and, uh, hopefully this doesn't go, uh, too, too poorly today and we'll be able to not step on each other's toes while we're doing things. But, uh, today we are doing, uh, our continuation. It is, uh, the beginning of the month. So that means it's another 101 and today is player role. Uh, we're going to build on from last month, uh, which was choosing the right system and really the kind of takeaways that we're going to look on here uh, is the uh, the feel of the system that comes out of the, out of choosing that system, whether it was gritty or heroic or a mill sim kind of design or, you know, in tactical or fantasy uh, and what kind of resources really come out of that, because those things are going to add on to what your players are going to be allowed to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, so... This is this is kind of the scary point uh, in in a lot of like games where you know for 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 new storytellers where you're just getting started and you're introducing that chaos element into your uh, into your story now you're adding players you know um, and so there's a big question about like what role do the players have in telling your story um, and so we're gonna talk a little bit about uh, defining what type of characters that we're looking for uh, within the narrative story, what, what they can bring to the table from a character standpoint. Um, what you as the storyteller um, can do to limit the scope of character creation. Uh, we'll, we'll elaborate a little bit more on that, but basically kind of like not just kitchen sinking your entire thing and allowing anybody to bring any weird concoction that they come up with. Yeah. There's um, a lot of resources out there. Uh, yeah, yeah, there is. There is. So especially like uh late in the game's life cycle like D&D 5th edition is right now where you've got, you know, 12 different expansion books that all add new races, new classes, new subclasses, new spells. It can get very overwhelming. Um and so sometimes limiting that source material is a very good thing, especially for a new storyteller. Uh we'll talk a little bit about um directing your players on how to uh sort of 
help meet and create the feel of the world, like making a character that feels like they fit in the story, in the setting, um, and so that they integrate well and that they don't clash with their backstory elements and such like that. And uh, also a little bit about getting a feel for what types of players you have at your table. Because um, it's not just characters, it's not just rules, but there's also a flesh and blood person behind that character. And they bring their own uh, qualities, their own personality and such like that to the table. And we want to make the game, the game fun for everybody. Uh, and so you need to take the type of players you've got at your table into account when you're writing your story. So you have a story now, and you've got to bring <laughs> yes. players to that story. And that's scary, because you're not writing a novel. There are going to be other people at that table. There are going to be individuals with different ideas, and they're going to hear a version of what you say to them. They're going to picture it their own way, no matter how much description you use to define what the story is going to be like. So giving them... And bringing that story to them is a kind of scary thing to do because you're putting more than half of the story in their hands. And I, I do agree with your quote that no plan survives contact with the enemy. But soon zoo. Yeah, the, but the players aren't the enemy here. The no, they're 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 not the enemy. Um, but it but it is worth noting that like no plan survives contact with the enemy is the most applicable quote here. The moment you put your story on the table, the moment you allow them to interact with it, to change it, to insert their own hopes and desires and uh, ambitions and such that into there. You have to understand that your story is going to change. Players are a chaos element. And and that's okay, though. A changing and evolving story is the reason we're playing tabletop RPGs in the first place. Um, and so it's it's just something you have to be prepared for, that you may have an idea on which way your story is going to go. And five sessions down the road... It may not look like what you originally set out to do. It, it's not going to look exactly like what it. you set out to do. Because I can't think of a single game where I wrote down the first three steps of the game and continued the other two steps. Like, I can remember scenes that I've done that. But I, I honestly cannot recall a single game that I GM'd that was multiple sessions where we got to the fourth or fifth session and I hadn't made a complete adjustment of something because of either a player interaction, a player history, even session zero, just altering things completely. Um, but never for the worse, always for the better. Yeah, absolutely. And um, like I, I think my current campaign is about the closest I've ever come to it turning out, quote unquote, the way I wrote it. Um, but I also think that has a lot to do with my approach of, like, not writing it until the session before so that I can immediately piggyback off of what happened last session and make everything in the next section relevant, you know, um, and working off a sketchy framework. But, like, as far as my whole meta plot goes, oh, yeah, no, it's – we're, we're – <laughs> There's, there's, there, there were some definitely mild markers along the road that, that, that we hit, but the, the road to get there looked far different. So 
I guess I'm going to take a, a moment here because I did bring it up, and that is is that some of our listeners, somebody who may be just starting, may not really know what a session zero is. And that is is that when we talk about session zeros, we're talking about pre-gameplay. We're talking about before really the dice hit the table um, and before the story even takes place. So session zeros are for making characters um, – there are also for discussing what type of game is being presented, what the themes may be in that case, um, the style of play, whether it's going to be really humorous, whether it's going to be gritty, whether it's going to be, you know, uh, a, a, a political machinations, super serious, or if it's going to be a fly by the seat of exactly. our pants, have fun and raucous, pulpy adventures. Exactly. And also the frequency of advancement. You know, how are you or will there be advancement on this at all, you know, mm -hmm. and gathering that feedback from them to kind of set the expectations from what they want out of it as well, your players, because getting the expectations of your players and setting the expectations for what you have as a storyteller is probably some of the most important parts of Session Zero, because a lot of times, and we've said this before, disappointment and frustrations come from those mismanaged expectations. We've read it online, especially in Reddit. We've uh, definitely gone through and had those moments ourselves. You've probably sat in a game where you're like, this isn't exactly what I thought this was going to be. I know at conventions I've felt that way even when I've sat down at a game and read the description and kind of got a feel for it and then sat down at the convention and it was totally not the game that I expected. Because the expectations weren't there and there really wasn't a session zero and it, it showed, it really did. So when we have these session zeros, you're in some cases not only creating your character, you know, you're helping your players create their characters and their backstories and getting that blended in your mind to your story, but you're also letting them alter the world a little bit and set that expectational set within it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, I'm sorry. One second here. I was uh, actually taking some. I was getting a getting a message about my audio quality here, so I was drifting a little bit. I apologize for the. Uh, for You're the fine. I've, I've, this was this was <laughs> going to happen. And number two, we are far from the word professional when it comes to doing podcasting. Oh, yeah. So yeah. let's just get that right out of the way. Yeah. So when we start talking about stepping into session zeros, we're talking about defining what types of characters we're looking for in the narrative. Um, it was really kind of funny um, as we were doing the research for the show. And today, even I found someone online having a problem with getting into a session zero with a, with their player oh and, and, and a player wanting to play a, I, I would not say ridiculous, but a, a questionably acceptable class because it is within the setting. And it yeah, it was just a different it race. They wanted to play a yeah. portal, and 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 turtles are a little, you know, out there. Some of the beast races can can get, you know, setting. See, breaking because it's not it's not like it's a mechanical thing. It's just that like having anthropomorphic animals walking around all over your D and D game is not, you know, always the type of game that you want. Exactly, play. and. This is the kind of thing where you, you take a moment and really start to have to ask yourself, 
what kind of characters do I want to have? What kind am I going to be working with my players to create? What are my kind of suggestions I have? Now, this is literally your first step after picking your system because you're going to want to help okay. define that. And a lot of times the, there are a couple different options for doing this. Some systems will have um, forms to be able to create this or, uh, you know, um, character gens that are available for you. Um, there's nothing to say that you can't even do pre-gens and, and just hand out an almost fully flushed out character to your players and let them fill in the blank spots because it can be a huge benefit for you. I mean, especially if it's a short game where you don't have a session zero, sometimes a pre-gen is going to be a great way to go because they can step right into it. Another is if you've got a short time frame, maybe there's only like five or six sessions and because you just want to do it as a one shot, you don't want to take the whole time to create elaborate characters because they're really not going to get into them. Um, and lastly, they may not be familiar with the system or the setting. And sometimes handing them a character that's already embedded in the setting and giving them some agency to act that character out the way they choose can really give them a lot to start with. Uh, I would say there's actually a, a, a another option, and I think this is this is what you did for your um, Children of Heroes Seventh uh, C game, uh, where you handed out pregens because you just had a very specific idea of who these people should be, and and where they would fit in your story and such like that, and you didn't necessarily want to um, rely on us to unguided create exactly the thing that fit your exactly vision. and and so you just created the thing that fit your vision and handed it to us and said here fill in some yep. blanks and, and i i kind of just gave you guys a rough lattice work of what you were and gave a pretty good expectation of what i was looking for as a storyteller and i i'm gonna say it i'm gonna go against what we see online like 50, i would say at least 50 percent of the time which is yes you can define it and Deciding what options make sense and restricting what doesn't fit is 100% acceptable. In, in fact, I encourage it, especially if you're early on in your storytelling, to do just that because that cuts down the number of rules, the number of cultures and and definitions that you need to remember to keep in your head as the storyteller you're you're bringing down the range of those mountains that the players get to see a lot closer to them you know oh yeah absolutely. you know if you're doing a high school setting don't let one of your players be from another location that that opens a whole door to a, a whole nother place you you don't need to do that you can keep them all within the same city there's no reason that they can't. I mean, even if it was just they were coming from a school within the, you know, moving districts within the same city. Great. Okay. No yeah. big deal there. Right. And, but the moment you start expanding is the moment you need to, as the storyteller, know more and have more world. So it makes a lot of sense to present those restrictions. Now, I think you did a really good job with this, Sarah, with your uh, current game in Tamriel because we talked about how big it was. But the way you did your scoping, I think, was really the key there because you said you can be anything so long as it fits within the fighter or the mage's guild. Absolutely. And, and uh, I... 
I specifically chose a lot of like my my uh, geography and timeline and stuff like that to kind of give you guys as much latitude and freedom as you possibly could. But, uh, you know, when you look at it, though, it, it makes it sound like, OK, there's no restrictions. But, yeah, there there really is. There's always restrictions. And I, I, I kind of wanted to go over this because I you, you know, you mentioned that Reddit thread we we're looking at today. And I swear, seventy percent of that thread was people telling this guy he was a bad he was a bad storyteller for wanting to place any restrictions whatsoever on his on his uh, uh, his players. And I'm like, this is unbelievable that we're seeing this. Like, yeah, you can say no to just about anything, and you almost always do say no, even when you think you're saying yes. All right. So you think the only restriction I placed was. Your character has to be part of a Mage's Guild or Fighter's Guild, right? But there's a lot a lot more hidden ones that are um, implicit in the setting, okay? So, for instance, uh, I said that it has to be where our, 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 our story starts in Cyrodiil. Okay, cool. And you have to be part of a Fighter's Guild or, or uh, Mage's Guild. This means that non-combat characters are not going to fit. Um, you can't play like a cook that doesn't cast magic. Like you can, you can play a cook, sure, absolutely, but make sure that that cook is a capable fighter or a mage. You know, mm-hmm. um, so there's already a restriction right there. Be capable as an adventurer. All right. Next restriction is. Specialist characters will not fit either if they're not a member of those guilds, i.e. no Dark Brotherhood assassins, no Morag Tong assassins, no Moth priests, because those are people who are of professions that are outside of those guilds. You know, those are those are limiting concepts that you can't bring to the table already. And then lastly, we're constrained to time period. Uh, I said my game was taking place in the third era, 415. That's right between the games Daggerfall and Morrowind. Um, and that limits some of your options there. So, for instance, um, somebody mentioned playing a Vigilant of Stendar. Can't do that. They don't appear in the timeline until the fourth era in direct response to the Oblivion Crisis. Like, they they show up because the events of the fourth game happen, and the fourth game hasn't happened yet. So, right there, I'm, I'm taking stuff off of the table. You have to fit the and, setting. And the only reason why we're we're trying to explain this is because a lot of new storytellers hear no restrictions as a good thing. Or that placing restrictions is a bad thing. You're going to stifle your player's creativity or um, you have to say yes and and you can never say no. And it's a load of BS. Yeah. Your table. It's your story. Just tell us what type of characters you want in it and we'll work with that. Any player worth having at your table is going to be okay with you telling them that their character has to fit in certain boundaries. Even up to choose one of these two pre-written characters, that's the game we're playing. Yeah, It's not an uncommon thing. It's not a bad thing. You're not a bad DM for No, and you're just because you're setting boundaries, which honestly keeps everybody safe and and cuts the number of things you have to worry about. Um mm-hmm. it it is good to have those. It is good to set those. And I mean, 
we've gone over pros and cons in the past about limiting the scope like this, but I'm, I'll, I'll throw some of them at you here anyways, because it's our show and we have microphones. Um, so like <laughs> number one, for, straight up, you have less books, less internet time searching to tr and trying to keep track of things. You're going to sometimes have, you know, have less balance issues because you know the makeup that's going to happen going in. Now, I'm that's right. I'm going to put balance in quotes because we're not talking necessarily mechanical balance because that doesn't affect all games, but it does cut down what you have to think about as you're creating your scenarios, uh, especially if it's going to be tactical. Um, both your players and the storyteller now have less lore and story and geography. You've you've brought down this macro image of this world to a smaller area, and now you can get closer even to it. You can define w within those things, and now those characters' histories have meaning. And lastly, realistically, you're going to get faster character creation. Uh, you're... Yep, because you don't have to dig through 12 different books and 14 different subclasses and compare and contrast and deal with analysis paralysis. Exactly, exactly. Now, some cons. Some players may feel like they're being stifled or pigeonholed. This is not the case. There's always room to be a character. Just because you're not a dragonborn doesn't mean you can't have even the same backstory as just a normal fighter, right? Mm -hmm. Um Players wanting broader globe-trotting adventures may feel let down, but that's an expectation of the storyteller. If the storyteller doesn't want to tell a globe-trotting story, maybe the player's expectations aren't set right. Um, yeah, yeah, that's that's a mismanaged expectation. Yeah. Uh, some people say it might not be as interesting for certain classes, races, or character types. You know, it, for, for them to be able to play this. And honestly, at that point, if your players want to play a specific class or, or race or character type within a story and it, and you go and say that's outside of the scope and they're like, yeah, I'm not going to be as interested, then maybe they shouldn't be in the game, uh, instead of yeah, folding. To, to me, at least, uh, the interesting stuff always happens in the story, not in the mechanics. Correct. Um, you can you can do cool stuff with mechanics, but uh, it's it's always the characters that bring those things to light, and the mechanics just show you how to how to you know unpack them as they're as they're happening in the story. Yeah. Um. So if 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 not having access to a certain class or a race or something like that is good is a game breaker, I I concur. Maybe maybe that person isn't someone you want at right. your table. Maybe that tape. I should. I, that sounds a little harsh. That sounds a little judgy. Let me rephrase. Maybe that player would find a, a different table better to their liking. That makes sense. I, I think that's a better way of saying it. I mean, and just as equally, you might feel as a player that everything you ask for is a no, you can't. And mm. maybe that's just because you're not seeing the same story that the storyteller is. And And I can remember early on looking at books and looking at D and D and being like, Oh, I really want to play a ranger. I really want to, you know, this specific type of ranger. Or I really want to play this type of fighter and then getting into a game and being told, yeah, I'm not, I don't want to do that. I don't want to have those types of classes in and feeling bummed about it because I was interested in doing that. But at the time I wasn't thinking of the story. I was thinking of my story and my character and my personal advancement. And that's where some of that disconnect can come in from. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. So what are some some various ways um, to limit the scope? Uh, how do you keep things clamped down and how do you, uh, you know, pull pull things in so that you're, you're not dealing with kitchen sinks every single time you're running? Um, well, we've talked about some of that, and that is uh, limiting the number of races, uh, professions mm-hmm. or classes, uh, sometimes the physical geographical uh, geographical area and origin. So maybe you might be doing something as grand as like Forgotten Realms um, or, or in the case of like uh, Mech Warrior, you've got a whole galaxy that you're dealing with and that opens a lot of doors. So cutting it down to a specific organization uh, or bloodline or house, or even a specific crew, like in the case of seven C, I could say you're part of a pirate crew and this is the crew you're part of. So now that Mm -hmm. really brings it down to a specific scope. Maybe you're all going to be from a few countries you know, in the world, but you're all pirates, right? So your backstories may be from various places, but the root of your character is that you're on a pirate ship being a pirate, right? Yeah. yeah so absolutely. even though there might be disparate pasts, um, there's a common goal. Uh, Shadowrun does this really well with the job. You know, you're all doing it for the money, you know, kind of a thing, you know, or you have a common villain. Um, we've seen this a couple times, uh, which done really well, where everyone's backstory weaves a common tale of someone doing them wrong, and now all of their head bump, all their heads bump together as characters to find that this person that they're that they're looking for individually is the same individual, and now they have a common goal, you know. It's like in Stardew Valley when they when when everybody finds out that you're dating everybody else mm-hmm. in town. Yeah, some. some... Yeah, and they all, they all have yep, a team yep, meeting. Yep. <laughs> you know, and then there's, the, of course, the United Ideal, the whole, like, vigilante justice or protecting the crown. In the case of, like, uh, the Three Musketeers, you know, having being all members of the Musketeers, it's protect the king, protect the country. Being members of the Fighters or, or Mages Guild and serving the, yep, serving the yep. Empire. Yeah. Or doing a job. <laughs> doing so, a job, yeah. okay, and knowing that, what makes a good guide for setting the scope uh, as a storyteller? Uh, I mean, number one, number one is communication. Number one is always communication. Number two, um, cardio. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Number two is cardio. Number two is double yeah. tap, I think. Um, so uh, what you really want to do, like, especially at, at your session zero and, and refresh this anytime, like it don't use your session zero as a one time. Hey, I told you, you know, and then uh, don't ever talk about it again. Um, keep that line of communication open, but define what the scope is to your players before, well before the session zero. Um, when you're pitching your game initially, like, hey, I'm going to be running a D&D game. It's going to be this story about blah, blah, blah. Are you interested? Okay. Right there, you're setting an, an a, 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 uh, expectation of what type of story you're going to be selling. Or uh, set... What type of story you're going to be telling, not selling. Sorry. I, um, I mean. If you're limiting the books or resources, you want to make that known uh, right off the bat. Um, and on a related note, if you're limiting your game around a certain reference books, make you want to make sure that those books are available to all people within certain reason. Um, so, you know, for instance, if you are saying like, oh, yeah, uh, 
there are these races that are available out of, say, like Volo's Guide to Monsters. Um, that doesn't do you any good unless, uh, you know, your players have access to Volo's Guide to Monsters. Uh, apparently I'm cutting out here and there, so I apologize. I'm going to hand this back to Rob. You know, I, actually, I don't think it's you. I think it's MixLR, but we should be getting back up, so that's oh. good to go. Because I can hear you clearly on my end, so we're going to keep going on the record and hopefully be able to get through this. But uh, we were uh, going back through the uh, the Volos guys where you left off on on this one. Right, right. So, it, you know, it, just just make sure that, like, you know, if you're saying that these things are available out of X, Y, or Z expansion books, that either, you know, they people can get together with you and um, uh, and borrow that book so that they can look it over and make an informed decision. Um, if you have D&D Beyond, uh, if you have the book on D&D Beyond, you can share it. As a storyteller, you can share it out to the rest of your campaign. Um, things like that. But you want to make sure that if you're including uh, resources – outside of the core book and or even just the core book that your players have those things available to them yeah i i I totally agree with that a lot of times i know through my games uh you know when we're uh doing stuff i will share portions of material if i can either it's you know maybe a player's playing something specific they don't have full access book i might give them either my book or i may uh, scan in or extract some some pages out of the PDF and get those over to them. Um, and with the advent of like drive through RPG, you know, sometimes throwing five dollars at a problem can solve it pretty quickly. And getting someone a basic uh, basic guide or a, or even a uh, um, the adventurer starter guide to stuff. Um, and then you've got stepping outside of that when we start stepping into lore, like dealing with geographic limitations. Um, when you're dealing with those types of things, especially powered by the Apocalypse games where they're designing the city and the region ahead of time, you're leaving the blank space for the players to fill in. You don't want to have every single city named. You don't want to have every single town or even so much as to say you may not want to have every villain named. Because what that's going to allow you to do then is, is as the players are sitting there in session zero or they're handing you their histories, you can start filling in those names. You can start working with this. I know you did this with one of the players in your game, uh, Sarah, where you were like, wait a second. We do know the name now of this particular villain, I, you know, and let that player fill it in and kind of work back and forth with them about it. Um Oh, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I assure you that probably, or I'm not going to assure you, I would assume that before that player stepped into the game, there weren't, there was not a ruins with a dragon hidden in it somewhere in that area. But now there is. No, there was And that is a... <laughs> the whole backstory was, uh, uh, yeah, my uh, I lived in a remote village and uh, it was burned down by bandits. And I'm like... Well, I just have to be telling a story about bandits who burn villages down. <laughs> I, I, what would you say if I knew the name and gave you the name of the dude who burned your village down? And he went, "That sounds great." And I said, "Cool." His name is Mogro. There you go. Uh, and then uh, the you could hear the Kill Bill sirens going off when he encountered Mogrub in game. Mm-hmm, it was great. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember that moment. Um, and then. The other thing is, is is getting along with those player requests. So once you have some players who are pushing into things, um, there's a difference between just saying no to everything and kind of ex- accepting some things. But at the same time, 
you don't want your scope to creep. You don't want to push outside the boundaries, you know, um, where you kind of want to have to help redirect some of those and make adjustments. But compromise is the key there. As long as it isn't compromising your story and it isn't compromising your ability to tell that story in some way, you know, if the player is just saying, you know, hey, I'm a, you know, bug shaman, you know, in, in Shadowrun, uh, I'd like to have a pet bug. Like, they're not going to be a combat animal or anything like that. I, I just want a pet bug, you know, for my backstory, you know, that hangs out with me. Boom, there you go. Here you go. So in, in that sense, that's a compromise that you can definitely throw in because it's literally just a narrative play that goes into it. Will that player eventually use that in some way? Maybe. But the point is, is that you can always come back and say, as long as it isn't, like, as long as it's narrative, you can compromise and work through that. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you know, it's 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 a difficult line to line to walk. I mean, we're not going to sit here and pretend that it's super easy. Um, there there is definitely a line between I don't want to allow X, Y, or Z because it's overpowered or broken or or whatever, and you know, the other on the other, on the flip side, allowing your players to feel powerful. But I think that's where the um, second question comes in, which is what can what are some ways as a player that you can have freedoms within it, but also accept things. And I think this goes back into communication, but I think part of it is also just being understanding of where your storyteller is at. Yeah. I mean, they're they may be limiting things for their own sanity. They may only want to use the core book because that's all they have, right? Or, or true. I mean, it, it, being that this is a one hundred and one, we're talking to new storytellers, and so we're not talking to people who have the entire collection of published D and D works. Right. No, we're talking to people who picked up the starter set and want to start their first game. Yeah, and know? one of the so bringing to the table something that's you know out of like uh, uh, Xanthar's Guide or Tasha's Cauldron or something like that is like you may be blindsiding your storyteller. Right. And one of the things that I was going to say to that is that if you are an advanced player, someone who's played in multiple games and you're playing with somebody who's a new storyteller, do them the favor of playing a very simple mechanical character, something right out of the core book, very easy, and just make them interesting. You know, make them a meat and potatoes character, but take the time to make let your chops come into being part of the narrative instead of throwing them you know from a crazy city in a weird town in an odd region and they're this special class with these special abilities and this really cool thing you know because now they're gonna yeah the last the last thing you want to do is exactly exactly you know um and don't ask for the scope changes you know just because it's might be a good idea or maybe time to branch out you know Look at what the storytellers presented for you within the meal before you immediately start grabbing for spices and asking if there's ketchup to pour over the whole darn thing, you know? Yes, good metaphor, good you know, metaphor. Because honestly, if they've just made a giant meal and they're or it's being made and the first thing you ask before it even hits the table is, do you have any extra, like, ketchup? Because I, I need that on anything, you know? Maybe just try it. No. I'm just gonna say, in my own defense here, I always reach for the steak sauce with my steak, and that's not because uh, 
I, I, I don't like the steak and feel like I need to enhance its flavor. It's just that I would mainline A1 sauce <laughs> if I could, not sponsored. Uh, and using a steak as a delivery vehicle to put more A1 in my mouth is exactly my job. That's fair. So. That's fair. Um, I think there are some other things that you can you can do as a player. Um, and I would even say that the earth, these are things you can look out for as a storyteller in some ways. Um, and that is character psychology, their demeanor. Um, yeah. Using things like hubris and flaws to play a character that is individually unique. You know, these are things where you don't have to follow hard rule sets to still have a good narrative. But at the same time, there is still scope creep there, too. You know? Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the, the thing is about a lot of these, like, hubris, flaws, hindrances, um, oftentimes come with a mechanical payoff for having them. And uh, so it's important to... Yet, you know, take some of those things, make your character a well-rounded character, give your character some flaws and stuff like that to role-play as a role-playing opportunity. But, um, you know, understand that your storyteller may not know that, uh, you know, those things can be limited. And so you stack a bunch of, of like, low-level ones. You may hear my cat meowing in the background. I apologize. Um, you stack a bunch of, like, low-level ones to get extra character build points to make an extra, you know, super powered character and stuff like that. It's I, I've seen it happen before and it's something to keep no, an eye on. I, I, I agree one hundred percent. I remember quite a few characters from uh different games that were they did just that. One of which was I think uh Vampire uh was was good about that. Yeah, I was gonna say vampire. You can just say vampire. You say different games. You can just say yeah, vampire. I, I remember vampire back in the day. People would stack a bunch of weird stuff just so that they could get some extra points to, you know, be a bigger you know, a bigger baddie, if you will. And uh and have yeah. extra power. So yeah, that's definitely a thing. Um but also like straight up smaller scopes mean more details can be paid for. And if you wanted to have a character who had roots in a specific organization, you know, that maybe has NPCs support it rather than just a, a name on the sheet, you know, now, now you're part of the story coming, you know, already. You're not just someone coming new to a tavern and, and going after something. You're connected with the world right at the get go. And you can do that. Yeah. For me is the difference between, um, uh, is the difference between like Star Trek: The Next Generation and Star Trek: Deep Space Nine? You know, you had the much smaller scope because you weren't trotting across the universe every single episode. Um, you know, you got to stay in one location and you got to know the people who were in the promenade. You got to know the people who were, um, you know, frequent visitors to the station. You got to know Gul Dukat and Kai Win and what the political situation around there looked like and stuff like that. And to me, that made it a much better Star Trek story. Um, and I will die on this hill that Deep Space Nine is the best Star Trek um, because of the smaller scope. I mean, yeah, it's cool to trek across the, you know, across the galaxy. That's what, I mean, Trek is part of the, it's literally half yeah. the title, but you know, there's only so many subspace anomalies you can run into before things start getting a little 
Well, yeah, even yeah. to say you know? even to say that they did have reoccurring characters in the other ones, and those episodes were often the ones that were more interesting. Uh, Absolutely. Every time Q showed up, it was a great time. Every time Locks on, I was Troy just going to say up, that one. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She yeah. was great fun, but. I love Locke. But I, and, and, and not to go too much farther, but this kind of points out the types of players that you may end up having at your table. And I think that makes a huge difference too. A lot of people, a lot of storytellers discount figuring out who their players are and how they want to play the right. game. And I, I highly recommend because a lot of systems paint this for you and try to help you look for these people because it'll help you get through those communicational barriers. You know, if you've got someone who is your atypical actor, you know, where they want to act out the character, they don't necessarily even care what they're playing, but they just want to act it. That gives you an advantage of working with them and knowing what types of limits you can put there. Likewise, we were just saying this, you have your... Just not the limits, though. But you, but but what sort of what sort of story you can, um, I should say what sort of uh, storytelling style you can employ mm-hmm. with them. You know, um, the actor is someone who wants to like you want to put them into situations that give them the ability to show off their acting mm-hmm. chops. You know, this is the person you can put in a compromising social situation because they're going to have fun imagining that situation and imagining how their character works within it and then you know uh, acting their character out as they work right you know they're not they're not quite there for the mechanics they may you know moderately enjoy combat sure okay it gives them it gives them a chance to act out what happens on a on a natural 20 critical or you know act out how their spells look or whatever you know but they're not there for the for the 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 quote-unquote combat of it they're not there for the number crunching and and likewise, there's nothing to say that you that you've got your other types like the explorer, the one who is immersing themselves in the world. And a lot of times, these players will take the time to go and look up lore and find neat little things within the world uh, that they want to yeah. play this particular race from this particular area. You know, because uh, you know there that those people had been you know attacked by the red wizards you know and like now you have to learn things about that group and maybe lean into it a little bit and be like okay maybe i will use those people you know and sure and these are these are people who are going to enjoy you bringing those lore elements in and and making the world feel larger for them exactly um you also have people who are instigators you know they love making things happen and for fans of critical role this is travis willingham (laughs) yes yes (laughs) i push the button what does the button do i push it we're going we're going in give us a button literally matt gave us a button i'm pushing the button so yeah and sometimes you just have to have those buttons for those people to press and again they're gonna give you very different characters than other people but they're also not gonna necessarily sit outside of your scope but they're going to be looking for those buttons um yeah these are these are people who delight in things happening okay so uh things you can do to keep an, an instigator um engaged in your game is to give them dynamic situations that uh keep them on their toes mm-hmm. um 
The biggest foe of an instigator is boredom. And so constantly having the action happening around them, even if it's just happening mm-hmm. to them, that's fine. That will keep an instigator engaged. That's the story they're looking yep. for. I, I, I totally agree with that. Uh, you, you then have your, as they're conferred, you know, a lot of times the power gamer, the min-maxer, uh, often confused with the rules lawyer, not always the same thing. Uh, but these are the people mm-hmm. who want to want to use the mechanics of the system to its fullest and optimize. I've actually seen a lot of min-maxers de-optimize. Uh, and try to have like a, a very renaissance character who can do anything, you know, and, uh, it's, they're not always going to be, uh, just combat related. Sometimes your, your power gamers or your min maxers or these types of people have seen something and they go in a direction that maybe, maybe they want to be the person, uh, who can bend reality basically using illusion or other tools and they want to be the best at that possible. Um, yeah. A, a power gamer is, um, you know, power gaming is kind of a bit of a derogatory term, but it is kind of the proper term also for this, uh, for this particular type of character. Um, because it describes exactly what they're looking for mm-hmm. out of the story. They want to feel powerful. Yes. They want to have moments where they've set their character up to do a trick, and they get to do that trick, and that trick works to solve mm-hmm. the plot, or thwart the enemy, or whatever it is. Um, dead honest, uh, I have a streak of this in me. Um, look at my character mm-hmm. for Rob's game, um, who's a an ice wizard. And... Uh, the thing that I absolutely love doing is like whipping out the cone of cold spell. Uh, I just got Odaluke's freezing sphere. I haven't mm-hmm. got a chance to use it yet, but I'm yep. so excited. Um, you know, things like that. And, and the, when I when I get to absolutely decimate the enemy with gigantic AOE ice spells, that makes me feel good. Uh, does that make me a quote unquote power gamer? I don't know, but it makes mm-hmm. me feel powerful. And powerful. Makes me feel well, I, I think that kind of lends into the Slayer character type as well. Which is the person who yep. literally just wants to murder hobo their way through encounters. Like, there's no question they yes. want to be at the top of the kill game. They want to look at, they, they want to effectively hit tab on their brain's keyboard and see that they are the top of the kill board. You know, and <laughs> that is cool that that is a type and give them those scenarios because that's where they're going to end up yeah. having fun. So when we're looking at, developing things for those types of people that's what you'll lean into and so you're you should be making a note somewhere in there that you need to basically have a wall of sticks for them to cut down you know or or encounters that they can literally work their way through and enjoy you know yeah it's it's a bit like the power gamer like like rob was saying um i would say like if you're familiar with firefly jane is Mm -hmm. their slayer um, and so it might be that everybody else is just running or doing technical stuff or trying to fly the ship or whatever. Jane is the one who pulls out the guns instantly. And even if you don't go into a full-blown combat scene that involves the entire crew, there's at least enough combat that Jane gets to pull out Vera and gun down some bad guys yep. once a story. Exactly, exactly. Because that's this type of story that that, that Jane's player and is Jane's player for. is wanting to that to be recognized as well. So not just cutting things down, but maybe even having that talked about or shown or recognized in some other way, sure. positive or negative. They don't sure. care in most cases. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, you also have people who are your storytellers, 
who want to tell a story throughout the game where their character develops and changes and or just breadcrumbs things out until they develop their own scenes that start coming out into play. You know, sometimes the storyteller can be the person who hands you the 40-page backstory. At the same time, sometimes the storyteller people are the ones who just give you a couple hints because they want you to expose it and catch up with where they're at with things. And I tend to like to say that if you have a character who does something like that or you a player who tends to go in that direction, talk to them. Get, get out of them what they're thinking of doing. Make sure that it's between the two of you so that you can help them expose the story that they would like to tell. Yeah, absolutely. The The, the best way to find your storyteller characters are uh, – or storyteller players are – is to just talk to them and just ask them like, hey – uh, where's your character at in the story right now? How you how you feeling? Is there is there a goal you're striving for? Is there something in your backstory you want to see you know come up, etc. You know what if left to their own devices, what mm-hmm. would they do if uh, the the world ending plot weren't happening? What would they do? You know, um, and if they respond, oh, you know, I don't know, I'm just you know, I'm just killing things, I'm having fun, then they're not your storyteller character. If they go. Okay, so my character's goal is blah, 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 and this other NPC said blah, 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 so I was thinking that my character wants to blah, 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 that's your yep. storyteller yep. character. They're, they're involved. <laughs> they're very involved. They are, they are a gift. The best thing you can do is let them, let them tell their story, and, um, now, don't let them tell their story without challenge. Do not let them tell their story without complication. But take their ideas, take the inspiration of where they want their character to go, and give them a nice bumpy road to yep. get there. Yep. And and work with them. Uh, I, I've known a few mm-hmm. people who have leaned too hard into these people, and they tend to be kind of Mary Sue narrators. Um, and, and end up like saying, well, the, you know, uh, you, you brought this person in, and I know more about them than the storyteller does. And yeah, that becomes problematic yeah. then when you start running that because then the question is, is who's really – who's who's owning the world, you know? Storyteller players, you give them an inch, they swim all over That's you. True. Um, mm-hmm. Much like the power gamer and the slayer, you also have the thinker, you know, the one who's wanting to solve challenges and do a lot of strategy and planning and, and thinking about things. Now – these types of people can sometimes slow a game when, you know, they think, you know, you're you're pulling out base 16 math or something, you know. Uh, so <laughs> sometimes it's good to talk to them about where things are at, but at the same time, giving them challenges that are part of the story is good. Not necessarily that is plot requiring, you know, you're still going to want any one of your players to be able to come up with that, but having something for them to be able to discover and figure out or plan for can be a huge benefit. Uh, yeah, it could be something as, as small as a uh, tactical situation in a fight or a puzzle in a dungeon um, all the way up to a uh, you know multi-session plot going on at the highest levels of society. Exactly. Um, they, these are the people who enjoy mysteries in mm-hmm. their stories. Mm-hmm. 
And sometimes that's just a matter of like finding a scene or a specific town and making it related to that or giving them a situation where they see something at a distance and give them time to plan for it and work with it. Or putting a bunch of vampires in your sewers and seeing yeah, if they'll notice. just like that. Just by stringing together some missing persons yeah. posters. And then uh, – no, I was just going to say go the ahead. very last one is The Watcher. Now, I'm not saying that they're that, that they're not common because they are, uh, but they're not something that a storyteller commonly looks for because they're a person who doesn't necessarily care much about it so much as they're just wanting to be there with their friends and enjoying a game. They want to listen to the story. They want to enjoy the story, but they may not really interact with it much. So... And that's fine. Um, like having having watcher players is is sometimes okay um, because these are the players that will be happy, kind of no matter what. They're like the golden retrievers at your table. They're they're like just hey, I'm just I'm just mm -hmm. happy to be here. I'm playing a game with my friends. Cool. And you're like, are you sure you don't want some plot directed towards your character? They're like, Meh, you know, if you do, cool. Yep. If you don't, cool. I'll just I'll just hit things with my sword. No problem. Yeah. Okay, you know. But but they're happy. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes directing plot at them is a good thing, and sometimes it's very stressful for them. So I think that's where you also need to see why your watcher's just watching. Um, a lot of times, watchers yeah. can be care can be players who have a lot of anxiety or a lot of concern. Yeah. Um, or sometimes yeah. they're a thinker who's just very quiet, you know, because they don't want to interject and and step on the toes of other people. Or they don't feel that they can. Um, so watchers are the one that can, that you do kind of have to monitor. Uh, and especially during session zero because oftentimes they're just good with whatever. And that can feel yeah. very much like you're having to hand them something. And in all honesty, if you've got a watcher, you might want to pre-gen and just hand it to them. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it's well, watchers. Watchers are kind of your wild card, you know. So, so sometimes they're just passive and happy and very satisfied. Sometimes exactly. it's anxiety. Exactly. So, um, talk talk to them as much as you talk to any of your other characters, still, and just uh, always test the waters and just get mm -hmm. their pulse. And if you, because some, sometimes you know, sometimes watchers are just shy and they're just waiting. They're they're a different archetype waiting to get plot. Yeah. You know, waiting to have that one moment where they just they 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 find their confidence mm -hmm. and and they unfurl into an investigator or yep, an actor. Yep. I know? mean, Claus makes a good point in live chat that uh, uh, during uh, their first game, uh, they just sit back, listen, and and kind of absorb from the other players. Um, I remember, because yeah, I, I've done this yeah. with other systems where I'm not necessarily confident with the system, but even more so. I'm not confident with this group. I don't know what the dynamic of that group is, so I don't know where I will fit into it well. So I'm not just going to step in yeah. boldly. I'm going to take some time, you know. Mm -hmm. And he, yeah, yeah. Well, we're rolling well. We have questions. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, I think we've belabored this point long enough. Let's uh, mm -hmm. let's get to some questions then. Uh, so, uh, Charles, IGJFCF, uh, asks, um, 
If you're trying to build a group from complete internet strangers, what's the best way to go about it? And you know what? I'm going to give my my honest 100% answer here. I don't know. Uh, I've never built a group out of internet strangers before. Um, I know that there are things like um, mm-hmm. LFG forums and subreddits and stuff like that where you can post looking for group things. Um Roll twenty has uh, looking for group, um, basically mm-hmm. just op- open invitations to, to tables mm-hmm. and such like that. Um, uh, you can uh, the the old fashioned way was to post stuff. Uh, uh, your your FLGS your friendly mm-hmm. local game store will have a uh, a post board if you're going to run a game in in person, uh, like for Adventures League or whatever. Um, yeah, and but I've I've never done any of those things. Yeah, so I, I don't all know. those are good ideas. The one thing that I've seen said a few times is. If you're going to be posting on a, on a place where it's like a, a rolling form, like in the case of uh, Reddit um, or something like that, sometimes it's really good to post just before your the time you actually want to run the game. Not like legitimately run it, but like maybe you want to run it on Saturdays at 1. Why not throw up your post maybe 11.30 that day? That way players who are looking for something to do at that time now can see it during that time frame and it puts it when they're at their computer i mean if you're going to plan on running it on saturdays at one but you're posting about it at you know 11 30 at night because it's when you're thinking about it you're going to get a very different group of people because the internet is big the world is very large people have very different time schedules that they can think about so just a just a little handy thing there so the mad elf asks under what circumstances would you limit the availability of race of classes, races, professions, abilities, skills to your players? Uh, the honest answer to this is uh, anytime you damn well feel like. Um, every story is unique. Uh, I I left my particular current campaign very wide open because I wanted to allow you guys to. Um, explore the space. We were playing 5th edition D&D. This is a, a lot of people's first um, uh, interaction with 5th edition D&D, so I wanted to leave the field very open for you guys, so I made my scope very broad. Um, but for something like your Children of Heroes game mm-hmm. with the 7th C, you had a very specific idea for what, what type of story you were trying to tell, and so you handed us pre-gen characters with some dots mm-hmm. missing, and you said you have like five skill points yep. to fill them in. Um, and I've seen everywhere in between. Uh, you know, you're all um, Melkavian vampires in this uh, in in this in this city. Um, you can uh, you're all you can play any any type of character you want as long as they have a tie to this one particular NPC. All mm-hmm. sorts of things like that. Yeah. Um, and, and it's really it's really whatever narrows it down to what you're looking for in your story and what you're comfortable um, with as or, a storyteller. Yeah, what you're comfortable with, from especially from a mechanical mm-hmm. standpoint, you know, mm-hmm. um, if if there are, uh, say, like character classes that have strong story implications that come with them, uh, I'm thinking like warlock yeah. path. Yeah. You know, if uh, if if the fairies don't exist in your setting, then having a pact of the Arkfey, um, warlock in your story is not going right. to make sense. Clearly, you're going to have to limit that, you yep. know. Um, and to directly address that Reddit thread mm-hmm. that we saw today, 
if it just gives you oogie feelings about maybe I don't want this in my game, that's also a valid reason. Valid. So, uh, uh, Tim's the next one. Uh, oh, yeah. Knocks in the box actually says, you hit us with the no time travel very quickly in Aberrant. Mm-hmm. I nope. did. Legit. Legit. <laughs> For good yeah. reason. Uh, so yep. suppose you're starting a new campaign and one of your players is struggling to come up with a character concept. Is there anything you typically do to help them find insp- inspiration that fits your campaign? Uh, for me, uh, first off, I would go back to our previous episode about character creation, make them listen to that. Um, the other thing I would do is, uh, the 20 questions is a, a great place to start to kind of s- start with a background versus even, a character concept is because sometimes you want to find out what they're interested in, you know, what interested them in the story that you're presenting, you know, why are they coming to the table for a session zero and what about the story intrigued them? Like, well, I like the idea of pirates. Okay. Do you want to play like a sailor? You know, and you can kind of come at it from that angle and then start asking the questions of, okay, what about this sailor is unique to you? And you can kind of work that direction. I always like working the narrative angle before working the, the skill or profession angle um, and, and putting it in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I would always hearken towards the lore uh, on this because that's where the roots of your story are going to be. Um, so you're playing, you know, like I run my game in Tamriel. Um, is there something about the Elder Scrolls games that you, that that you know you've you've ever liked um, that you've wanted to explore uh, that you were curious about? Um, you know, you just like cats and you want to play a Khajiit? Okay, cool. You know, we can we can work with that. Um, but I think you know having a good conversation just about the lore and just looking for. Little bits of inspiration here and there where you can, you know, uh, like your example with the pirate crew. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't know what type of pirate I want to play. Okay, uh, what what pirate movies have you seen? I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean and I saw uh, Count of Monte Cristo. Oh, Count of Monte Cristo. What did you like about that? Oh, Edmund Dantes was real cool. Okay, Edmund Dantes was not a pirate when he originally joined the crew. He just kind of got press ganged into the crew. How about you play the straight man who gets press ganged in, who doesn't want to be a pirate, but is doing it because he needs to to survive? The, the other option is being cast overboard. Oh, I like that. I like that. Cool. Boom. We got a character. Concept. I'll kill your friend yeah. and gladly join your crew. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd be delighted to kill your friend the maggot, and the life of yep. a pirate is for me. All right. Uh, we got one more on here. Uh, yeah. So Nevim asks... Um, I've seen around many times the table discussion flow goes from player to GM and the other way around. How, as a player, can I move the discussion flow towards other players? How to avoid having the game rely mostly on the GM's shoulder? The fact that, yeah, the fact that you're even thinking of that is wonderful, and thank you very much. It's an excellent question. So there's a lot of systems, and especially during Session Zero, I find it to be the most important time to do it is creating those bonds between people, linking backstories, making those connections so that you've got the room to be able to say, hey, you you know, why don't we try, you know, doing this like we did back in, you know, Singapore, you know, and and have the other player kind of look at you and be like, oh, oh, you're calling to our backstory stuff. 
Well, I don't know anything about Singapore. Make some shit up. Okay. You know, and, and now you guys can play back and forth and have that kind of bond and story mesh together. And again, there are systems out there that do bonds really well. A dungeon world has that. They literally give you some preset statements. Um, yeah. So fate does it, fate? um, uh, pretty, pretty decently if I remember correctly. Um, I'm trying to remember just this last system that we were looking at that, uh, where it had, oh, um, kids on bikes had a really great way. Yep. Kids so on they bike. were really good about it too. So there's nothing to say that you can't steal those ideas and, and, and use that as a player, you know, to build, build some bonds or even bring up that as, idea, as an idea at the table, you know, of like, yeah. why does your character hate my character? Oh, I don't know. Well, let's discover why. You know, and doing that during session zero could be a huge uh, thing. One one thing I was actually considering doing for my own table, um, uh, Savage Worlds has a system called interludes, um, and it's a type of scene basically where um, people just kind of tell in character stories uh, about um, various things, like the character might be might be thinking about or or emotionally having you know trouble dealing with. Um, or things that they they have done in the past or whatever, um, but it's a very uh, it's a very monologue style thing, um, and just it, you give them a Benny, they reveal a little bit about their character, you give them a Benny, and it's it's a really nice way of getting to know the characters. Um, one thing I've been considering doing, and I think I will I I will uh, implement this to my table next session, um, is uh. If we have an interlude, you may also have a Benny if you just simply pick another character and have a conversation with them. Straight up, just, hey, you were casting some weird spells. What's up with that? You know, or something like that. Hey, uh, that guy in that bar really seemed to bother you. You want to talk about that a little bit? And, you know, not monopolize the whole, you know, next 45 minutes with a, with a deep, you know, therapy session or something like that. but. You get a conversation between two characters, both of them get a Benny out of it, and you learn a little bit about both characters involved in that story. They learn about each other. They deepen their bond. And once you've started that conversation between the characters at the table, I think it would continue. You know, I think once they've got topics to talk to each other about that isn't the the plot pressing in on them from outside, you're going to find a lot more in-character table talk. No, I, I I agree with that completely. I think that's that's a great way of doing it. I think that's a cool thing. I hope to hear that yeah. come out. Um, and Outside of Savage Worlds, I, I would just say is just make sure that you give your players time at the table to have that breathing right. room um, where basically the plot isn't constantly demanding their urgent attention. If they have a moment to, like, just yeah. camp, no random encounters, they're just on watch together, just give them a quiet evening to mm -hmm, chat around mm -hmm. the fire, you know? You know, the ghost story night, you know? I, I, I always like hearing games where uh, the 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 premise of it is, is a, it's a quiet night. Like, they made all their roles. Like, you could have had a session that starts out with, okay, I have to get them from point A to point B. Where I'm, I'm going to just do some random encounters with them. And everybody makes great survival checks. And you're like, well, it's pretty quiet. Okay, you guys are on the fire. It's not bad. What? Why don't you start telling about your wounds? 
Like, where'd you get that scar? And and tell your exploits. And see where it goes. Um, so, next week's topic, uh, we're going to do another system spotlight. Uh, we're actually going to do the One Ring RPG, which is kind of funny that we're leading from this Session Zero to talk about a very large setting. I mean, people know Lord of the Rings, and some people know it very deeply and know how big and gigantic the world setting can be. And I'd like to apologize to our listenership right right now oh, because I do oh. not. I've seen, I've seen the movies okay. and that's well, about it. <laughs> there's an Encyclopedia Britannica on how much stuff is out there, and uh, I think the only person who's – at the top of the chain right now is Stephen Colbert, and I think he knows more than anyone. Right. So, uh, yeah, we'll we'll leave it to his godhood of of knowledge. But uh, we'll we'll get to explore the system and uh, talk a little bit about how that's uh, a little different for us. All right, uh, you can find us on Twitter at st underscore conclave, on Instagram at st underscore conclave. Listen to us live every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern time, uh, at mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave. And join us up on our Discord. Uh, we'd love to see you, uh, have join you in, in the discussions, shoot us some questions, join us in the live chat, uh, and that you can find that on our Twitter, as well as our website, storytellerconclave.com. We would like to thank our Patreon uh, named members, particularly Knocked in the Box, Sam, The Arcane Asylum, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, and Hulavu. We really appreciate all your help and the rest of our Patreon members who help us out every month. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at patreon.com slash arcane anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at geefrog.bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And the outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. A big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. Thank you. All of our friends who've sat with us at our tables over the years to give us these great stories to share with you and you, every single one of our listeners. Love you guys. We love you so much. Good night. Good night. <laughs>